Good morning. Good morning, both here in the room. It's so good to see you and those of you online. Just uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We're delighted you're here. Um, what a great prayer, Katie. Soften our hearts. Open our ears. You know, what, what a powerful uh, prayer to begin uh, this teaching with. We're in the third week of series, like Tim was saying, Time, Talents, Treasure. And this is a broad-ranging uh, series that a lot of you have heard things like this for years and years here at Orchard, that um, the idea is that everything you have from birth to death, everything you have uh, is on loan to you from God. That's the idea. It's on loan from God. So if you have a talent or a skill or a bank account or 10 pairs of shoes in the closet or a good, I counted the shoes in my closet. I, I, I used to run a lot. I walk now. 14 pairs of running shoes. I never show, throw them away. I don't know what God's going to do with those things. Uh, uh, we just have uh, to remember the fact, all of us, that everything we have is on loan. You own a farm? It's actually not yours. It's God's. You have a portfolio that's growing this year because of the stock market? That's great. It belongs to God. You didn't have it when you were born, and you're not going to take it with you. It's God's. You're going to steward it. Um, and then one day in heaven, eyeball to eyeball with God, one of the questions, according to the words of Jesus, that you'll be asked is, what did you do with the stuff I gave you to build my kingdom and build your church and care for yourselves and love your family and change the world? What did you do with it? Your skills, your gifts, your talents, what did you do with it? I've taught on stewardship here for more than 30 years. I, I've, and I get fired up to teach about stewardship. But this year, the team asked me to teach something brand new I've never taught before. And I wasn't sure how I was going to go about it. And here's my topic this morning. We have a slide. What does it look like to steward a legacy in word and action? Legacy. How do you steward a legacy? How do you manage a legacy? How do you leave a legacy that pleases and serves God? Good question. Important question. Now, here's the first thing. As I thought about it, here's the first thing I need you to know about this question. This is not a teaching for only old people. <laughs> you know, who thinks about legacy? Well, you got to be at least 80 years old to think about legacy. Right? No, 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 no. That's all wrong. This is for everyone. Because here's the deal. You leave a legacy in every era of your lives. You went to high school. You played football or golf. You left a legacy there. You raise young children in elementary school, and you raise them and you interact with them, you leave a legacy in their heart. Parents, you're raising teenagers, you're in the era of leaving a legacy that's going to make a difference for as long as they live. Right? You leave a legacy at your college, in your fraternity, in your sorority, at every single place you've worked. There's a legacy, a presence of you beyond your going there. You visit a hospital, and you're a patient for a time. You might be leaving a little legacy in the hearts of those nurses and doctors who serve you. Legacy. Kids, ministry leaders, coaches, grandparents, we all leave legacies in different areas of our life. So what is a legacy? Let's take a look at that a minute. 
uh, legacy is something I do in word or deed that lasts beyond my presence. You ever have someone speak to you from their grave? I mean, they've been dead and gone for a long time. And then all of a sudden you hear a whisper. I don't mean with your ears. I mean in your brain or in your heart or just remembering something they said. Some of you have this with moms and dads. It's like they've been gone a while. But you get up today and you remember something they said. That actually fits the definition of legacy. Something they did in word or deed, they said, that's still with you when they're gone. Legacy. Uh, so uh, people speak to you uh, well beyond your in their presence. So I was a teacher at Edgewood Colesburg High School for five years, teacher and coach. And this was like 35, 40 years ago. And I still get Facebook uh, interactions and emails from people that I was with those five years. That's legacy. And I haven't actually stewarded it that well because I should, should have kept a little more in touch with them. I worked with an organization called Youth for Christ 10 years after that. And staff and volunteers that I was involved with, they left a legacy with me, I left a legacy with them. So we're leaving a legacy in every era we live, and we have to steward that legacy. We have to manage it. It's important. It's a vital part of this Time, Talents, and Treasure series. So here's the next question I wanted to answer. Do you need to be rich or famous or hold any records to leave a legacy that serves and honors God? Nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with being famous. Um, nothing wrong with holding an achievement record. Those are all good things. And they're great things to steward. And it's true that you need to steward those things. If you're rich, you have a lot of money to steward. If you're famous, you have a lot of influence to steward. Um, I see this. We were uh, Last week we were at the YMCA of the Rockies. We love going out there, Estes Park. And we stay on the Y camp, we stay in a cabin. And each of those cabins are actually owned by a family who put in a bunch of money and take care of it, right? So we were benefiting from that legacy. And then I discovered two up high chapels in the mountains have been left by families who gave a memorial gift of legacy to put the two chapels. So, and then I found a prayer walk, which had a huge, beautiful way to connect with God. A family paid for that. Now, the YMCA, they put families' names on them, right? So I can know, here's the name of the family that did this. Now, at Orchard, you may not know this, we actually, do, we actually receive memorials every year. We have chosen not to put people's names on them. It doesn't decrease the importance of it. For instance, you probably don't even know this, but the coffee house at the other end of the building was paid for with a legacy memorial gift. Um, and we were able to build it the way we did, because of that gift. Now, we don't put the name on it, but God knows the name. And so every year we get gifts like that. Some of you might want to think about that as a part of your stewardship. Our culture says the people with the biggest legacies are the people who are rich or famous, who set records. But I've noticed that that can more get in the way of a powerful legacy than help it. 
During my father-in-law's funeral about 10 years ago, Ralph Ritter, several of the grandkids during his funeral got up and spoke about Grandpa Ralph. And um, I listened to the, I was doing the funeral, but I didn't know what these grandkids were going to say. And I listened real closely to what they said. And what came across so clearly in the words of his grandchildren was that Ralph was just a regular guy who showed up over and over again and cared for them and loved them. When there was a divorce, he was there helping, encouraging. When there was pain or disease or some other need, he showed up. When they needed encouragement or help, he was there. He didn't always lead the fun activities. He was a lot of times on the fringe. But as I listened to these grandkids, he had left a legacy in their hearts. After Ralph's funeral was a dinner. This was actually down at the far end of the building. And uh, then my son Joel had a couple um, little kids we were putting in the car so he could head back to Ames. And so we're carrying those two little kids out to put them in the car seats. And Joel says to me, Grandpa didn't do anything that spectacular, did he? But he made a difference. And then my son Joel said to me, I can do that, Dad. I can show up. I can care. I can invest. I don't have to be rich or famous or very influential. I can do this. When Ben, Charlie, and Bailey, our family members, died... I saw what a legacy they had left in their short time with us. And many of you, many of you right now are thinking of a loved one who passed, who left a legacy. And where's that legacy most important? In the hearts of others, in the investment in others. So we must steward our legacy. We must. Next question. Who would you choose to be the Bible's poster child for leaving a legacy? This is such an important question. So fun for me to think about. Who's going to be the poster child for legacy? I mean, there's so many. I mean, we could choose Jesus, right? I mean, obviously, he left a good legacy, but you can always choose Jesus. So um, I could also choose Paul, who was this Christian hater who was knocked to the ground, and uh, then he left a legacy like most of the New Testament. Or Peter. I mean, Peter, he, he would have been a fun one to talk about. He was always falling down and getting up and getting his mouth in the wrong place and everything. Or Thomas, doubts. You know, that was a great legacy. Hey, you can doubt. Or King David. I mean, like, he danced in the streets and he yelled at God. He danced in worship and he yelled at God. That would have been good. But I'm choosing... Uh, a surprising character on Legacy, and this guy is found in Mark chapter 5 as my poster child for Legacy, and you will be quite surprised who this is. It's actually, um, well, let me, let's go to the scriptures. Uh, Jesus has just calmed the lake after a storm, and he comes up on the shore and says, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. This is a guy who lived in Gentile territory. That's like unclean territory to these Jewish folks. And he lived in the tombs, which is where they put their dead bodies. 
And um, we're talking about a guy whose life was busted and broken. He was homeless. He had no friends. He was in an area called the Decapolis, 10 cities. Uh, That area was known to raise pigs. And when Jesus rolls up on the shore, I think he's thinking about the potential of this man. Nobody else is thinking about the potential of this man. They're just saying, what a loser. What a broken life. Let's go to the next scripture. Then uh, here's what happens next. Uh, And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons. This is a guy who hurt himself. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Let's go to the next verse. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want me to do, Jesus, son of the most high? God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. At a point, Jesus said, who are you to the demons, the voices inside of him? Remember, he said, I'm legion, I'm many. Remember what Jesus does? He casts those demons, that evil, into the pigs. Jesus isn't afraid of demons. He's not afraid of the voices in your head. Uh, There were many things plaguing this guy's life. We would never pick this guy as a guy with a great legacy. And some of you are sitting here this morning, and you think you would never be a poster child for legacy because you've been through a divorce or you're struggling with something big time, or maybe you filed for bankruptcy, and you go, the last thing I can think about is legacy. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. This is why I love this guy as a poster child, homeless, friendless, voices in his head, psychotic, filled with demons. Jesus sets him free. Jesus sets him free, and he wants to set you and me free. This gentleman in the story, when Jesus came up, he was lost and busted and broken, but Jesus saw who he was. Let's take the next verse. This is later in Mark 5. As Jesus was getting into the boat after he healed the man, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus said, uh, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said No. He said, you have a new story to tell. You have a story to tell your friends and family of what I've meant in your life. Go and tell the story. Pretty simple. He didn't say go and convince anybody. He didn't say go and argue with people. He said, you have a story to tell. Just go tell it. Here's the part I never knew. Two chapters later, Jesus returns to this same area. Mark chapter 7. You may not have known this. Let's take a look at Mark 7. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. 
Wait, he's back. Two chapters later, months later, he's back. He's coming to the Decapolis, and there were some people brought, who brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place, him, place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, the first time Jesus comes to the ten cities, it's an unchristian, unknowing uh, area, and one man comes running to him. Now, months later, he comes back, two chapters, and there's a crowd who comes and brings a person, actually people. Why the difference? I'm glad you asked. Legacy. The guy went and told his friends and family the story. And now people are expecting and knowing that this Jesus changes lives. Ah, ah. Uh, N.T. Wright, a respected theologian and professor, says that this guy is the first Gentile disciple of Jesus. And he leaves a legacy. But here's something incredible, even beyond that. So someone was taking a tour of the Holy Lands, a pastor that I know, was taking a tour of the Holy Lands, and the tour guide was showing them the Decapolis, and the tour guide said this, this was a hotbed of Christianity 300 years after Jesus. Hotbed. They're still discovering churches everywhere, buried in the dirt. In fact, just a few weeks ago, they discovered kind of the foundation of another. And he said, one of the bishops of those churches, 300 years later, wrote a creed that people have used for thousands of years. In fact, it's one of the creeds our denomination uh, accepts as biblical and helpful. It's called the Nicene Creed. And that was written by a bishop of churches 300 years after this guy went and told his story. Do you have a story to tell? You do. You do. Are you taking opportunities to tell it? You need to. Because this guy, we don't even know his name. We call him the demon-possessed man. That's all we know about him. 300 years later, he's impacting a bishop who 2,000 years later is impacting us and worldwide Christianity. The Nicene Creed is one of the foundation creeds of our denomination, Lutherans, Catholics, lots of churches that follow Jesus. Put words simply to what we believe about Jesus about God and about the Holy Spirit. You think you have some idea of the legacy you're building, but God takes it and makes it so much more. That's why it's so important to steward it. I have uh, five or ten stories that I've been telling for 30 or 40 years. And um, when I tell our programming people that I'm going to tell the story again... They go, well, of course you are. Uh, Tim Wilson's grown up with these stories since he was 10 years old. Um, he could get up here and give this one once he figures out what story it is. I actually do it for a reason. 
Not to surprise you, but to remind you. So here's my story about legacy that's so important. Ignaz Paderewski. Yep, now some of you already know, I know. Russian pianist doing a black tie concert in New York City. Young mom brings her little boy because she wants him to love piano. Did I say black tie, tuxedo kind of deal? Well, she brings her little boy with a sack lunch because he's kind of squirmy, and he's sitting on the aisle, and she hands him his sack lunch so he'll keep quiet, and he opens it and unwraps a peanut butter sandwich and starts to chomp on it. And then his eyes get drawn to the grand piano on the stage. And his mom's talking to a neighbor, and he jumps out and runs down and climbs on the bench of the grand piano and sets his peanut butter sandwich on the piano. And then he starts to play the only song he knows at that point, which is Chopsticks. And he's just playing it. He's having fun. He's smiling. He's thinking about the peanut butter. He's getting peanut butter on the keys. And people in the audience get really mad. I didn't pay all this money to come and watch a kid. Where's that kid's mother? And if you're a mother, you know where she is. She's squirming down in her seat. Like, yeah, whose kid is that anyway? And Ignis Praderuski from the back of the stage slips on his tuxedo and he walks out and he starts to improvise over chopsticks a concerto that's just beautiful. And people go nuts. Who starts a concert like this? Who has a little boy come up with peanut butter fingers? And he just leans down, Ignis Paderewski leans down and says this. Says, play, play, just keep playing. That's you and me. Peanut butter fingers, chopsticks on God's grand piano. Nothing you or I do is really going to be that powerful with legacy. Really? But we do the best we can. And God leans over our shoulders. And he turns it into something powerful. That's the poster child. That's the man with demons. He didn't know much. He just went and told his story. Hey, Jesus, I was lost. I was homeless. I had voices in my head. I had demons. Jesus, help me. That was his story. And God leaned over his shoulder and made it something incredible so that 300 years later, it was still having power. Now, hear this. Hear this. You have no clue of what God wants to do through your life. You have no clue. No clue whatsoever what he wants. In fact, when I look at my life, I think, man, is there anything important I'm doing these days? Yeah, chopsticks. Just keep doing it and let the God of the universe use it how he wants. I, I'm in, in some ways, I'm a poster child for this standing up here. I mean, I just, almost every time now that I come up to teach, I hear a whisper, you have nothing important to say. You have nothing new to say. You have nothing worth these people's time to say. 
But I have to keep climbing up and doing chopsticks. And so do you. Whatever it is God told you to do, do a job, run a business, build a family, take care of your grandkids, encourage the nurses in your hospital room, whatever it is God's calling you to do. Do it with all your might, all your might, because you have no clue what he wants to do with your life and how he wants to use your legacy. Let me uh, pray, and then we are going to uh, move into communion. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you are faithful and you are present. We thank you that you take what we do on this earth and you multiply it, just like loaves and fishes. You take what we do and you make it into a beautiful piece of music for your kingdom, for the future. Father, help us leave a legacy that is worthy of you, even though it's just chopsticks. Help us do this well, please. Uh, Help us not lose sight of the fact that everything we have is on loan from you. And we need to care for it as your benefactor. In Jesus' name, amen.